Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome. I am your librarian, Katrina. This is where I am reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis to tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. Now, I was going to read this week's book, The United States Constitution, annotated with the Federalist Papers in Modern English, edited by Mary E. Webster last week because September 17th is Constitution Day and last Sunday was September 17th. However, my kitchen still looks like this. So my reading has slowed way down while I continue to battle the remodeling gods. Also, why we're not doing a president book this month. Uh, it's the last Sunday and I wanted to finish this one and so we moved Wilson out and everybody else out. And because my kitchen still looks like this, I am going to drink with another bottled drink, this time an offering from Founders Brewing Company. Uh, as far as I know, no relation to the Founding Fathers. I just, the name, you know, clicked. So this will be Blueberry Imperial Stout Aged in Burble Berries. Bur burble Berries. Bourbon Barrels. <laughs> Get that out there. <laughs> Aged in Bourbon Barrels. Sorry. I like Founders Brewing. I mean, some of the, some of their recipes are hit or miss, but typically their flavored stuff is pretty good. So we're going to go with that one today. I actually haven't had the blueberry before, so we'll see how this goes. Now, an absolutely terrifying number of people have never actually read the Constitution in full, which is alarming because unlike the massive thousand-page ominous bills stuffed with pork that our current Congress critters like to produce, the U.S. Constitution is only 17 pages long. I mean, hell, that's in pamphlet form. I've literally copied and pasted the text of the U.S. Constitution from the constitution.congress.gov website, and it's only 11 pages in a Word document. So this is not very long. I mean, I've written blog posts longer than that. Um, I mean, it's entirely possible nobody's read those blog posts either, but it should. so it shouldn't be very surprising that so few Americans know what's in the Constitution beyond possibly naming a few amendments. Please stop licking, Freya. Don't lick your toes. No. We're going to have to figure out why you're licking your feet again. You're cute. Stop that. She's looking at me, isn't she? Ah-ah! Uh -uh. No, no, no. Good girl. In addition to maybe being only able to name a few amendments, some people argue that, as the Constitution was written 236 years ago, we cannot possibly understand what the intent of the Founding Fathers was, other than counting the slaves as less than then with the infamous three-fifths rule. And that one is pretty well known throughout the land, thanks to political pundits who deliberately misunderstand it to push their own political agendas. I would guess that most people can cite the First and Second Amendments, and maybe know the Miranda warnings from TV are somehow linked to the Constitution, and that's probably where most people's knowledge of the Constitution stops. That's a solid offering from Founders Brewery. My other one I really liked from them was like their vanilla porter, I think. I haven't had it in the local store in a while, so I don't know. What Webster did first is she painstakingly translated the Federalist Papers, which are inarguably what the Founding Fathers meant when they ratified the Constitution, into modern, easy-to-read English. And I do have that book, and I was going to read it this month, but kitchen, you know? So I can't really... I just I had to pick my battles, and that one had to wait. 
I do feel confident saying the Federalist Papers are inarguably what the Founding Fathers meant, because from September 1787 until June 1788, when the Constitution was ratified, there was a bitter newspaper struggle going on with supporters of the Constitution posting what would become the Federalist Papers and detractors posting the papers from the book two weeks ago, the Anti-Federalist Papers. And since the Constitution was ratified, that means the bulk of Americans in the 18th century supported the Founding Fathers' interpretation of the Constitution as argued in the Federalist Papers. And since Webster translated those papers into modern English, we can say that, yes, we definitively know what the Founding Fathers meant with the Constitution. And understand, the, the translating into modern, it's not like it was a completely foreign language. You can, in fact, pick up any copy of the Federalist Papers and read it and understand it. It's that they use very detailed language and she breaks that down into more easy to understand for you know modern americans who have the attention span of a goldfish remember you learned that a few weeks ago with the mind hacking happiness books so she makes it easier for you know us to understand which is probably very important because of how easy we are to give away our rights then, for the benefit of all, Webster took the 17-page Constitution and carefully cross-referenced every single line in the Constitution with where that line is referenced in the federal paper, Federalist Papers. Every single line. Webster starts with a very important point, and this is a direct quote from the book. As I study the Federalist Papers, I have discovered that memorizing the dates of history's events is not the goal of studying history. It is the human motivations behind the events that are important for us to understand. Every time we forget history, tyranny grows. Every time we ignore history, our freedoms disappear. Every time we think we are just too smart to need to study the lessons of history, we lose bits of ourselves. So before the actual breakdown of the Constitution, Webster provides the historical background of why the Constitutional Convention was called. And this is important because that actually wasn't covered in the Anti-Federalist Papers I read a few weeks ago. The Confederation was in a state of collapse. Everything was literally falling to shit. Now, the Articles of Confederation, which had been written and adopted by the Continental Congress on November 15, 1777, didn't go into full effect until all 13 states had ratified it, which didn't happen until the last holdout, Maryland, signed it on March 1, 1781. So, and that's partly why the Constitution said only nine needed to ratify. That was the majority of the states would be nine. And uh, they didn't want the entire process being held up by that one holdout state. And they actually made a couple of pointed barbs at the last holdout state in, in the Federalist Papers, which, if you know it's Maryland, you can be like, okay, Maryland, get the frickin' program here. So during the like bulk of the Revolutionary War, we were literally just 13 colonies and rebellions against the mother country, England, until March 17th, or March 1st, 1781, when we became a confederation of 13 independent states in the formal global meaning of the word, meaning a nation. State being is a political organization of a society or body politic. From 1781 to 1787, when the convention, the Constitutional Convention was called for, we devolved from 13 states pulling together for independence to a condition of near anarchy. Now, the Articles of Confederation were basically unenforceable, hence the anarchy. Each state may be required to submit X amount of dollars or manpower for the running of the government. However, each state could choose its own timeline for actually producing those dollars in men. So as soon as one or two states decided now is not convenient, the other states are like, well, if they're not gonna, I'm not gonna, and so nothing got done. Which sounds like an anarcho-capitalist paradise, right? 
I, I mean, I lean towards that, but hold on there. The Federalist Papers make some pretty solid arguments for why this is a fool's paradise, starting with the Mississippi. Now, nominally, we had rights of navigation on the mighty Mississippi. In reality, Spain was preventing us from using it for transport. And because we were independent states and not a nation, we had no way to argue that point with Spain. Each, each state was responsible for their own passage, their own boats. And if you, your state couldn't afford the militia to enforce its right to travel the Mississippi, then you were sitting ducks on the water. And additionally, no other nation would enter treaties with any one state because there is no way to enforce that treaty on the other states. No nation would trade with us because our borders were insecure and smuggling was rampant. Now, this to me does not necessarily sound like a bad thing because anarcho-capitalism, let it all burn, right? Burn, baby, burn. I am an outlier in that. Most people need the security blanket of government. And as independently minded as a great many Americans are these days, ultimately, we all have to live on this planet together. And so to that effect, government can be Oh, this hurts to say. <clears throat> Hold on. Okay. Government can be a good thing. Sometimes. I get it. I, I do. Uh, because truly, the major downside of an anarcho-society, you know, whether it's anarcho-capitalist, anarcho-socialist, is that ultimately, might makes right. Meaning, eventually, some big swinging dick who doesn't play nice with others is going to show up and bully everyone around him into making him the head honcho. It's basically how we end up with feudalism, right? Rome fell and each state, each country around Rome, each country state, nation state around Rome fell to absolute anarchy until lords started showing up and bullying everybody and making them the guy in charge. And then we ended up with royalty and direct descent. You know, instead of being able to choose who leads you, choose who leads you, you got whoever was the next in line to inherit. Because some kids just don't want to play nice with others. And without laws to keep people safe from that and government to enforce those laws, things get bad quickly. I mean, very fast. And the Founding Fathers, all of them, were highly educated men. They frequently reference historical events that I had no idea about, founding empires in the Netherlands and Prussia, now Germany, because those historical events are far removed from modern day America. And in my own defense, I also don't know a great deal about the Egyptian pharaohs or Chinese emperors, but someone out there knows more than me on all of these topics. And that's okay, I'm, I'm working on it, as you can see. Freya, stop licking. Can you not lick for like 10 more minutes? Probably not even 10. Stop licking. So having determined that anarchy and America's rapid descent into that state would ultimately leave us quite vulnerable to European powers, including a possible second war with England, never mind the 1812 war, the Founding Fathers called a convention to rework the Articles of Confederation. And, and that is what the Constitution did. It, it actually it's actually based quite heavily on the Articles of Confederation. The language is cleaned up and focused, basically pulling heavily from the best parts of the individual state constitutions and the Articles of Confederation to make this U.S. Constitution that we have now. So the Constitution itself is quite easy to read without being translated into modern English. And this was by design. 
the, the, the founding fathers, because as well as the Federalist Papers point out, it is no use having laws that are so onerous the average man cannot read nor understand them. Do you hear that, Congress? But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. I mean, like, like, what is this bullshit, right? So let me find you a page, a random page of examples here. Okay. So, see that top line that's in bold print, which is Article 1, Section 3, Senate of the United States? That is actually in the Constitution. Everything that comes after that is pulled from the Federalist Papers. So, bold print for the section of the Constitution being addressed, and then the Federalist Paper being referenced. So number 62, for example, and then the number in brackets is the approximate paragraph number. And it's approximate because depending on what version of the Federalist Papers you pick up, it may or may not be that exact paragraph, but it'll get you close and then you can find what she's referencing. Anything in italics in, te in the text are, I believe, Webster's own thoughts or something she learned along the way while doing this project. Now, when an amendment directly alters the nature of the Constitution, she includes the amendment. So the Bill of Rights is not included because none of those directly alter the Constitution as written. They basically just clarified things. The 13th Amendment, for example, is included because it directly alters the Constitution, namely that three-fifths rule. And I, I think this book is a valuable resource. It should be read by anyone looking to understand the Constitution and the times in which it was written. However, sometimes a little repetitive uh, because several passages to be understood in full are repeated in full because those passages refer to several different parts of the Constitution. So like, for that reason, I'm not sure if reading it from beginning to end is the best way to get the most use out of this book. Um, I would definitely keep it as a, I'm, I'm going to be keeping it as a reference, but mostly it's best so that when you're sitting there and you know, you're, you're, involved in a Facebook debate or social media debate with somebody and they're saying, I wonder, the, you know, somebody's arguing the founding fathers couldn't possibly have meant that. Well, then you can say, well, let's pull out my book here. And what did they mean when they said no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two thirds of the members present? Well, two thirds of the Senate is needed to find a person guilty, providing security to the innocent. This is in regards to impeachment, presidential impeachment. Okay. So two-thirds of the Senate has to agree, which is why they're having such a hard time with President Trump, former President Trump. So I would keep this as a reference. So when I wonder, what did they mean when they said all legislative powers herein granted? Well, Webster found exactly what they meant by that. And there is no question that Congress is supposed to be extremely limited in the laws they can pass to only what is directly granted in Article One of the Constitution, Article One, Section 8 specifically. And it's for this reason that the Bill of Rights, a.k.a. the first ten amendments, were not included in the Constitution. The Founding Fathers believed a Bill of Rights was not needed, that the Constitution so limited Congress that highlighting things Congress could not do would essentially target those rights specifically. And it's kind of hard to argue that, uh, that they were wrong. I once wrote a paper for college about violations of the first ten amendments, and I think the only one that hasn't been directly violated in some way or attempted to violate in some way by Congress was Art was the Third Amendment about housing troops in private residences. Everything else, Congress has made massive inroads in violating in some form or another. Incidentally, if you read the whole thing, the whole Constitution, you'll understand why the Tenth Amendment, 
but I do have my own copy of the Constitution here, and it has all the amendments in it. The Tenth Amendment is the most powerful amendment, and here is why. It actually specifies powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. It's the Tenth Amendment, incidentally, that is allowing all the states to legalize marijuana usage and, like Oregon, has decriminalized uh, psychedelics because the Tenth Amendment allows them to do exactly that. Because the ability to criminalize the use of any product is not included in the Constitution. You know, people will argue the uh, general welfare clause of the Constitution allows for that, but the Founding Fathers, I think, would disagree. It's very clearly spelled out in here on what they are allowed to do. <sighs> Something they were wrong on, the Founding Fathers, and that actually kind of broke my heart reading this, is their faith in the American people was sadly misplaced, or more specifically, their descendants. I think that we were handed a beautiful dream, and we have, over the last 120 years or so, completely pissed it away. I doubt they could have imagined a day when we the people would fall asleep at the wheel and continue to elect and re-elect the absolute dregs of humanity who are only interested in themselves. Because that actually is addressed in here multiple times about the people will stop it from happening. The people will see that these people, that, that the people they've elected are acting in bad faith and fail to re-elect them. And that has simply not happened, which is why we have absolute decrepitude running our nation right now. Among the final pleas in the Federalist Papers were to not amend it until after it had passed, because if it's amended pre-passage, then it's no longer the Constitution and would need to be ratified by all 13 states to pass. Um, and it did pass, June 21st, 1788, when New Hampshire became the ninth state to ratify it. The Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, were added on December 15th, 1791. Now, initially, 12 amendments were offered up for ratification. The two that were dropped were one that mandated one representative for every 30,000 until we reached 100 representatives. Then that proportion would be regulated by Congress until we reached 200 representatives. This amendment allowed for not more than one representative for every 50,000 people. Uh, that one was ultimately dropped, which I'm okay with. Um, I, as much as the, you know, chaos titian in me would love to see 11,000 representatives in Congress, the Founding Fathers make multiple points about how too many people becomes just lost in a sea of noise. And that's a valid point too, right? 11,000 people clamoring to have their voice heard is going to get nothing done, which would be fun for me, but... It goes back to that government does need to govern. That's what they do. They have one job. They do it badly, but they have one job. The other one did not pass the initial muster was no law varying the compensation for the services of the senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. Now that amendment was eventually passed almost exactly 200 years later, on May 7th, 1992, when it became the 27th and most recent amendment to the Constitution. And overall, I quite like this book. Like I said, it's a valuable resource that can directly refer you to what exactly the Founding Fathers meant when they put X into the Constitution, whatever X might need explaining for you. She takes the guesswork out of history, which is fantastic. We, we need more of that. We need more clarity on what was said and done back in the day, because people these days are really dumb, really alarmingly stupid, and 
willfully so because the knowledge is out there. You can get literally any book that you want to read from any local library. If they don't have it on stack, on hand, they, Boulder, stop. If they don't have the book in stock right then, they will reach out to other libraries and get an interlibrary loan for you. The knowledge is out there. It's completely free. Go find it. Um, that's it for this week. So if you like what you saw, don't forget to subscribe. I will see you guys next Sunday.